Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for January, uh, no, February 6, 2018. Eight-game slate, a couple of obvious value plays, and then just some other overall interesting games to talk about for the night. First game on the slate is the Cleveland Cavaliers at the Orlando Magic. Really strong matchup for both sides. Both these teams play at a fast pace, garbage on defense, also a tail end of a back-to-back for the Magic. So from the Cavs side of the game, LeBron's 11,400. I don't want to say he's unplayable in this matchup, but he hasn't been good recently. A lot of that is because Isaiah Thomas is taking a lot of the usage from LeBron. The upside for LeBron has been really capped with Thomas there, and I think that there's guys priced under LeBron that I just think of more upside than him. So I'm not going to say that LeBron 100% fade can't play him, but I, I don't think he's a priority play on this slate. From the Cavs side, I do think that Isaiah Thomas at 6,200 is in play. I know he's been really bad since taking over as a starting point guard. But I, I still overall believe in Isaiah Thomas as a scorer and that he should have some decent fantasy games. And I also think in this matchup, the Magic give up the most fantasy points to point guards of any team. It is the tail end of a back-to-back for them. And there's such a strong narrative against Isaiah Thomas and how bad he's been that I think this is a good enough spot to roster him in this matchup. Uh, Dwayne Wade's at 5,000. I think he's usable. I still do prefer Isaiah Thomas for just 1,200 more because I think he has more minutes floor and ceiling than Wade, but I still think Wade is in play. From the Magic side of the game, one of the obvious value plays on the slate, Mario Hazonia is priced at 4,500. He started tonight ahead of most states, and Hazonia finished with 38 fantasy points in 32 minutes. Uh, 20 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. If he's going to play 30-plus minutes against the Cavs at 4,500, it's just a really easy value play. Yeah, I agree with you on Hazonia, and you uh, you messed up the month. I guess I'm looking at the clock now. It's 2.12 a.m., so I, I guess that's excused. Uh, we, we, might, we might have more slip-ups as this podcast progresses. Um, so I, I do like Hazonia. I'm looking at the other Magic players, though, and I think Alfred Payton is usable. But there's no one here that I like that much. Uh, Peyton's at, I think it's 60, yeah, 6,700. Um, there's His minutes make me really uncomfortable. Yeah, it's basically if he plays well, he gets the minutes. And if he's not playing well, then DJ Augustine and Shelvin Mack and, I, I don't know, there are a bunch of guys that just play more. Um, so here's here's the minutes for Peyton his last four games. 17, 24, 23, 25. I guess they, the Magic haven't played particularly well, but they did beat the Heat on the road. So if he, yeah, I didn't. And I had twenty five minutes. Right, I didn't see the box score from tonight, so that is concerning. Um, but it seems like there's so much upside too. Like if Peyton gets thirty plus minutes, it is a really easy matchup against the Cavs at home. And I don't know. I feel like he, there's a lot of upside there, but there's also a lot of downside. So Peyton would be a very risky GPP play that I wouldn't want to have a ton of exposure to, but. I think he could make some sense for his upside. And then going back to the Cavs, I, I think I like the same three guys that you like. I might be a little higher on Wade than on Thomas. Um, although I do think both will be pretty low-owned. LeBron is going to be very hard to use, and there are some other expensive players to consider. So I, I don't think LeBron is really in play unless you're stacking the game. Maybe Maybe a couple lineups with LeBron. But Thomas and Wade, I would say... I would want to have one or the other in almost every combination, if not every lineup. 
Not really sure which one I want to have more of, but Wade is cheaper. And without Kevin Love there, it's a boost to both of these guys. It's also a boost to LeBron, which is worth mentioning that LeBron's rebounding potential uh, increases without Kevin Love there. But it's more usage for everyone on the Cavs. So even though Isaiah Thomas hurts LeBron's usage, since he's come back, he also um, LeBron will get some of that benefit back from Kevin Love being gone. So those three guys, I guess, all could be used, but Wade and Thomas are the stronger plays. And just because Wade is cheaper, I think I'd rather use him, but um, I, I definitely do like both of them. All right, next game here, the Milwaukee Bucks at the New York Knicks. Giannis is another player that I prefer to LeBron at a similar price range. Let's see, what has Giannis been doing recently? Like, There's just more upside in Giannis who has a 78 fantasy point game a couple weeks ago. He has a 65 fantasy point game last week. LeBron's gone over 60 fantasy points like twice since Isaiah Thomas entered the starting lineup. Giannis is also... LeBron's gone over 60 twice since Thomas entered the starting lineup. Giannis is also a few hundred dollars cheaper than LeBron. I don't think Giannis is a priority play either. Uh, Let's see. Eric Bledsoe at 7,000. What is... Uh, I think that's just kind of a fair price. Well, he was hurt, and then he also had a game. I think it, it might have been the last time they played the Knicks where he got in severe foul trouble. Yeah, he fouled out against the Knicks last game. He, he, I'm just kind of looking at his overall pricing, though. Yeah, this is a little expensive for him. So it's just kind of fair. Same with Middleton at 7,600. From the Knicks side of the game, also pretty tough matchup for them because the Bucks are pretty solid on defense. The one guy who I do think is worth a deep Oh, here it is. <laughs> Trey Burke, if Frank Nielakeen is out. And that's only a really deep GPP play. So Trey Burke has been really good when he's gotten minutes this year. He's scoring, was it 15 fantasy points per game in 14 minutes? If Nielakeen is out, here, here's what I'm thinking. Yeah, obviously, Trey Burke takes over as the backup point guard. I just think he's better than Jared Jack. And I think there's a pretty good chance that he comes in against the Bucks' backups after Jared Jack probably inevitably struggles against Eric Bledsoe. And we see Trey Burke hit a couple of baskets, and then all of a sudden he's playing with the starters in crunch time of a maybe close game. Or maybe the Knicks just get blown out and they play Trey Burke in garbage time. Anyway, I don't really think that's a likely scenario, but not an impossible one. Uh, at 3400 I think Trey Burke is worth putting in like 2 or 3% of GPP lineups. Right, you're going that low on him. Yeah, I, I thought you would have uh, you would have said a higher number after talking him up that much because I do think that there's a pretty decent floor for him if Neil Aquino's out. He probably plays at least 18 minutes, I'll say. And at 3,400, it's not like he can really kill you in that many minutes. Uh, worst case, maybe he gets like 10 fantasy points. So the upside being there, I think makes him worth using more than that, even though he is a guy that is more like your favorite player, not really my favorite player. But he's not my favorite player either. <laughs> Actually, Neil Aquina is probably my favorite player on the Knicks. I just think my actual least favorite player is Jared Jack, and I would like to see Neil Aquina start and Burke just play more minutes and be a part of the rotation. Ah, uh, uh, okay. So there's the bias. Burke, is, Burke has been interesting to me, especially because of what his story is, which I don't want to go too much into it because it's really late at night, but basically... He was, and I don't remember. Did I talk about him the other day? I, I know I've talked about him on the podcast. I, I think it was uh, the one you did by yourself, so I, I don't think I've heard this in a while. Uh, well, 
or whatever. I know I've talked to you about it. It's hard to know what I talked about. It wasn't, wasn't recorded. But basically, Trey Burke was a first-round pick. He was good his rookie season. And then by his own accounts, he kind of thought his shit didn't stink anymore. He stopped he stopped working out. He stopped practicing hard. And slowly he got out of shape and found himself out of the NBA. And then he kind of just didn't understand why he wasn't playing anymore. And then he just realized that it was because he wasn't putting the time or the effort in anymore. And Burke took his diet more seriously, took his training more seriously. He was basically the best player in the G League this year. He was averaging almost 30 fantasy, uh, thirty real-life points per game. I don't know how many fantasy points he was averaging <laughs> in the G League. Uh, he's come to the Knicks, and he's played really well when given the minutes. So I think that Trey Burke could stick as a rotation player in the league, and this is why I think he's worth playing in 3% of my GPP lineups tomorrow. And also, you think that the G League should have DFS. I think that's what I'm gathering from this also. Uh, that and the Lithuanian Basketball League. Um, the other thing I'll mention about his playing time, though, you mentioned blowout risk. Uh, we don't have a Vegas line up for this game yet, but I think this game's going to be right around Pickham. Any game could be a blowout, so I won't say that that's an impossible scenario. But one thing that does benefit Burke is that the Knicks have been more willing to play their backups down the stretch of games if those backups have the quote-unquote hot hand. Like they, They've stuck with guys like Ron Baker and Doug McDermott, Michael Beasley, a lot of times they've gone with Neil. After the season, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I'm just. This is this is historical. Uh, I'm just bringing. <laughs> this is for historical precedent. Um, and Neil Aquino's played the fourth quarter of games where he's played well down the stretch. So if Burke is out playing Jarrett Jack, I think you are right. I think he could pretty easily end up stealing Jack's minutes in the fourth quarter. So that's not that's not an unreal scenario. I think there are a lot of backup point guards who kind of need a blowout to be able to play at the end of the game. But for Burke, I don't think it would have to be a blowout for him to get a lot of extra minutes. I think he could play himself into those extra minutes. So that that's why I might be more comfortable using him. I don't know. I think 3% is actually too low. I think he could be someone to use in 15 to 20% of lineups. 85% of lineups, Trey Burke. 85, is that the number now? Yeah, there aren't a lot of cheap value plays either. I mean, we've got Hazonia, who we already talked about, and maybe one or two more, but... I think Burke could be worth a decent amount of exposure if Neil Aquino's not playing. All right. I do like Trey Burke, though. Uh, next game. This game is, I, I think it's going to be a fade for me. Houston at the Nets. This game, I think, definitely has a substantial amount of blowout risk. Houston is only 10-point favorites. But I, I still, like, what percentage of the time do these teams play each other? Do you think the starters are on the court at the end of the fourth quarter? Well, even if it is, even if the Nets do lose by less than 10, one thing that maybe I don't account for enough is a scenario where the Rockets are up by 18 at the start of the fourth quarter and their starters come out and then the Nets just get like a backdoor cover and lose by eight points, but it was still sort of a blowout. The Nets actually have done a lot of that this year. Um, yeah, there is blowout risk, and then I guess you can get into this. The, pr- the pricing is just not favorable for either side of the game. No, I think Chris, uh, James Harden up to 11600 is a little bit too expensive with Chris Paul back. He has had a couple good games in this spot. Uh, I mean, just playing with Paul in general. But still, I think if my memory serves correct and kind of looking at his box score, for most of the time with Paul there, he was really closer to like an 11000 player than being closer to a 12000 player. So I, I'm off... James Harden, Chris Paul, the whole Rockets gang here, especially because Aaron Gordon is expected to come back. Yeah, Clint Capella has gotten more minutes lately, though. He's actually gone over 30 minutes in four of his last six games, and 
One of the ones where he didn't was a blowout. So maybe the Rockets are just relying on Capella a little bit more. Uh, it's kind of hard to roster him while not rostering Paul or Harden because of the correlation there. But I guess Capella would be the one Houston guy that I think would make sense to use. It, it's a bit of a reach, though. I think it's just easier to fade the game. And then on the net side, I think all of their value plays, like Jared Allen at 5300 now, I mean, that that was the guy who was a little underpriced for the Nets. I think there's no one else to really use with Russell back and him and Didwitty are sharing point guard responsibilities. And even though the Nets have these other injuries, it's just that there really just aren't spots on the team that are underpriced at all anymore. Okay. Uh, Celtics at the Toronto Raptors. From the Celtics side of the game, Kyrie Irving is questionable to play. Marcus Morris is questionable to play. If both of them are in, the Celtics are certainly all fades for me. If both of them are out, the Celtics are still probably fades for me. Al Horford priced up to 8000 now. We've got uh, Terry Rozier, who last year Danny Ainge would not trade straight up for DeMarcus Cousins. And look who's laughing now. <laughs> Terry Rozier, $7,300. Uh, a bit too expensive for me on Rozier in Toronto. So... Extra playing time for Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice if Marcus Morris is out. Both just kind of fringe plays, though. Like, I think if you have to roster them, they're acceptable, but nothing like a crazy good play. From the Raptors' side of the game, if Jonas Valanciunas ever got, like, 35 minutes or so per game regularly, he would just be such a ridiculous DFS producer. He hits value at the end of the like first quarter of every single game that just doesn't play the rest of the night. For the season, he's scoring 26 fantasy points per game in 22 minutes. Yeah, if we if we got over 30 minutes per game from him, he's probably scoring over 40 fantasy points per game. I think he's worth looking at in GPPs because every once in a while he does get some more minutes. We just don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, Kyle Lowry at 7,200. I think he's cheap enough to consider but also not like a crazy good play. But I think that there's upside in Lowry at that price. Yeah, I think there's a little upside in Lowry too, but this is kind of just a fadeable game, I think, overall. Serge Ibaka's price has come down a bit to 5000 and he's had three really bad games in a row. Well, at least three bad DFS games. He played well in Washington, but yeah, didn't get any defensive stats or rebounds or anything. Um, Ibaka should do well if... If the game is close, because the problem the last two games has been blowouts. They won by 25 against the Blazers and 15 against the Grizzlies. I think 30-plus minutes for Ibaka is reasonable, and the game should be close. So at 5,000, I think he's a better play than Valanchunas, who I just I just don't think he's really worth using because he almost never plays enough minutes. And it's this isn't the kind of matchup where he would play more for any reason. Like, I don't think there's anything about the Celtics that would lead Valanchunas to play more minutes. I don't think they, they need him anymore. The Celtics don't have an oversized front court or anything. Uh, if anything, the Celtics might go small ball because they could be missing Marcus Morris, and then there would be even well, less. If Marcus Morris is out, then they play big lineups all the time. They do, but then they also might play some Jason Tatum at power forward down the stretch of the game. I mean, that happens also. I think it's kind of just unpredictable. Like I don't really think it's that likely that the Celtics are – in the game at the end with Horford and either Baines or Tice in, and then also the Raptors decide to counter that with Valanciunas. I think that even if the Celtics went with that bigger lineup, they would still the the Raptors would still just play Ibaka at center with 
smaller lineup where Siakam at forward or Pirtle or someone else because they just don't play Valanchunas a lot of minutes really ever. So my devil's advocate point would be Valanchunas is 5,500. We need 27 and a half fantasy points for him to hit value. He scored at least 29 fantasy points eight games in a row. Yeah, he, he's been very good. Um, including, including a 60 and a half fantasy point game against the Jazz in 27 minutes. Yeah, I guess I'll say this. If Marcus Morris is playing, then it doesn't really change anything for me on Ibaka. I'll, I'll use him anyway. If Marcus Morris is out, then I think maybe it is a little bit more likely that Valanchunas plays a few extra minutes, and then I'd be more inclined to use him then. And then I'd also be lighter on Ibaka because I think a game where Ibaka gets in foul trouble would help Valanchunas. If Valanchunas gets in foul trouble, it would help Ibaka. I think they're sort of negatively correlated with their minutes. So I wouldn't use them together because this isn't a stackable game. And if the Celtics are going to play a bit bigger, then maybe I lean a little more towards Valanchunas. But I, I think either way, I still like Ibaka more. Okay. Uh, Memphis at Atlanta. Ersan Sova was questionable to play, but he was upgraded to probable. This game is just going to be a fade for me. Yeah, this game is bad. Uh, I initially thought that Schroeder's price at 6700 looked intriguing. I, and I, I don't know. He's been He's so inconsistent. There's a lot of risk with him. Sometimes he doesn't play that much upside either. There's not a lot of upside. I think he's got the same minutes problem that Alfred Payton has just with less upside and in a harder matchup. So if we're using a point guard at 6,700, it's definitely Payton. And there really isn't another player to use. Oh, oh yeah. You, we, uh, we were talking about Dwayne Dedman before the podcast. Did Ilyasova just get upgraded like in the last half hour or did we miss that before? I think he was questionable before, and he's probable now. So they, they gave the update at 2 in the morning? Okay. That's that's okay. a good time for the Hawks to do their Ersan Ilyasova update. Uh, yeah, so with that piece of information, I guess that removes Dwayne Dedman from consideration, and he was really the only guy to look out for this game for value play. Okay. Next game, Washington Wizards at the Philadelphia 76ers. If I was just betting on lines for game, uh spreads for games i think there's a little bit of value in the sixers being favored by only six points in this game this is the tail end of a back-to-back for the wizards they have way more significant home road splits than most other teams in the league they're really dependent on bradley beal right now who is significantly worse on the road than he is at home he's shooting 48 percent from the field at home 44 percent on the road I really like this spot for Joel Embiid at 9,500. The Wizards have gotten killed by centers over the last month or so. So he's my favorite play in this game. I do think there's a little bit more blowout risk than the spread indicates. Uh, but I like this spot for Embiid and nobody else really individually. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the blowout risk at the end. Because I was going to say, if you think a team has a lot of value at minus six, then you have to also think there's at least a little bit of blowout risk. Um, this line actually opened at four and a half and it was already bet up to minus six. So there's definitely sharp money on the Philly side and yeah, maybe the line will go even higher. I think that's a good call that this spread is a little bit too low, but Embiid's still a strong play. I think that you kind of just have to play him in spite of whatever perceived blowout risk we're looking at. First of all, Embiid could play 30 to 35 minutes, even in a blowout win and still score 60 to 70 fantasy points. That's not even that unreasonable. So I don't even know how much the blowout would hurt him because he's not playing really heavy minutes anyway. I mean, even in a blowout win, he might still get 30 minutes and he would probably have to play really well for that to happen. And 
yeah, the wizard side is just is just awful. Um, maybe Dario Saric is worth considering, but if you're if you're that heavy on Embiid, then it kind of makes sense to just not have ever, anyone else from Philly because there's negative correlation if Embiid has all the usage. Um, he doesn't negatively correlate with Ben Simmons at all, but I I just don't like Simmons at 8200, and I think you you would agree that Simmons. I guess there was that one scenario against the Bulls where all the other guards on Philly were out, but that's not the case anymore. So no Simmons for this for this spot. It's ridiculous how rarely Embiid busts. Like it, it, when you consider also how uh, restricted his minutes have been. For a lot of this year, there's games where they play in less minutes, or, well, I guess it's irrelevant to his DFS production. They rest him on back-to-backs. But Embiid has had, like, six games this year where he scored under 40 fantasy points. And he's usually in, like, the 9K range. That's a ridiculous amount of uh, of floor. And then, obviously, the ceiling is huge for him also. He's scored as many as 90 fantasy points this year. He has a ton of games over 50, a handful of games over 60. So yeah, Embiid's my favorite guy to pay up for on the slate. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I'm not worried about the blowout enough to lower exposure on him. I think he could be someone to have in nearly every lineup because if we're just talking even in terms of expected output, I think he might even have more potential for points than LeBron or Giannis, and he's much cheaper than both of them. Yeah, I would. Uh, in this matchup, I do think that he's more upside than either of them, and for a cheaper price. Uh, two games left. Phoenix Suns at the LA Lakers. One of the other obvious value plays on the slate, Tyler Eulis. Devin Booker, uh, hip injury. I think that's what it is. He's he's out. It looks like it could be a bit of an extended absence for Booker. He said it pract- he tried to practice today and afterwards he said that he couldn't do anything. So I don't know what that means, but it's not it's not an encouraging report on his health. So Isaiah Cannon is out for the season. Tyler Eulis has been named the starting point guard at forty two hundred. There are two point guards on this roster. Tyler Eulis at 4,200, Josh Gray at 3,200, and Josh Gray has played a total of... It's like 10 minutes this year, right? minutes in his NBA career. 12? Okay. Nine in his NBA career. Oh, you said nine. I don't know how I heard 12, I guess. Yeah, like we said, it's late. So, with Josh Gray, we know so little about him. He's an undrafted rookie from two years ago. He's a 24-year-old. 24 years old, was in the G League, obviously nine minutes in the NBA so far. So maybe if you want to use him as a pivot off off of Tyler Eulis, possibly. It's not like Tyler Eulis is some great player either. But, I mean, Josh Gray is just such an un- unknown. I find it hard to believe that there is some hidden gem in somebody who's a 24-year-old, undrafted, uh, second-year player who's played nine career NBA minutes. But I, I wouldn't say that it, there's enough of an unknown that I think that you could put him into a couple of GPP lineups. I prefer Trey Burke for the same. Yeah, price. I was going to stop you there to say uh, that Burke at that price I think is just a better play than Gray is, and neither of them are going to have any ownership probably. Uh, Burke certainly won't. So before we go to the rest of the Suns, I think we should just clarify that Josh Gray isn't some strong value play here. I think he's. I don't know if you have exactly 3,200 for life for a lineup and you're not using Tyler Eulis in that lineup, maybe it's an okay leverage play, but yeah, it's uh, it's hard to use a player that we've never heard of. There's upside in Marquise Chris. There's downside in Marquise Chris. I think he's worth using in a GPP, but definitely not cash game playable. From the Lakers side of the game, 
Julius Randle's in play. I'm, I'm fine with saying Julius Randle's a cash play now. It's a little unnerving to say that there's enough minute security with a Lakers big man to put them in a cash game. But as much fluctuation as there's been with the other Lakers bigs, Randall has scored over 30 fantasy points now in eight of his last nine games. And the only game he was under was at 27 and a half. He's just been pretty consistently, pretty consistent recently. He's seen 30 plus minutes on a regular basis. The other guy who I do think is worth using in GPPs, Brooke Lopez at 5,100. He played 35 minutes last game. He's the best player on the Lakers. I think it's easy to forget that because he doesn't play at all this year. But 5,100 for Brooke Lopez is a ridiculous price if there's a chance of him playing 35 minutes. Yeah, I guess there's a chance. It's just there's also a chance he plays 15 minutes. There's uh, a chance he plays. His, last, his minutes from the last three games are 8, 27, and 34. Yeah. So if Lopez doesn't play a lot of minutes, do you think that that means more minutes for Randall, or it would just be more minutes for someone like Larry Nance or maybe even Kyle Kuzma? It would probably mean more minutes for Nance, but I, I'm not even—I he's not somebody I would look at. It's Julius Randall's the safest play. Brooke Lopez is a ton of upside for GPPs. Fifty-one hundred for Brooke Lopez, I think I would argue has more upside than any other player on the slate. Yeah, I think it might, and I also think Lopez would be a good pivot off Randall. Like, I'd be more inclined to use Lopez in a lineup that doesn't have Randall in it. Because this game has some value plays, so you could sort of stack it. I don't think there are a lot of guys to use. If you're stacking the game, then maybe you can put Randall and Lopez together. But just as a plug-in, I think it wouldn't make sense to have just two guys from this game and have those guys be Randall and Lopez. Um, so for the most part, I think I'll just go one or the other. I like Randall more. Lopez is worth some exposure, though, because of that upside. Uh, one more player from this game that I think you didn't mention, but he could be my favorite player from the Phoenix side. Troy Daniels played 25 minutes last game, even with Devin Booker there. Um, he should play more than that with Devin Booker out. He's at 4,300. I don't think he'll look particularly strong in any sort of projection system or anything like that. So that might keep his ownership reasonable. But because of the way he plays, where he literally just shoots threes and does nothing else, I think there is a lot of upside if he has a really good shooting game. And he might play 30-plus minutes. He could even play more than that if, I guess, if the game is out of hand for any reason. He probably plays garbage time. I think there's a lot of minutes floor for Troy Daniels. And I think there's a lot of upside just because of the nature of his game. So he would be someone, I think, to have in game stacks. But I think he's a decent value play anyway. Yeah, um, I'm I'm on board with Trey Dan with Trey Daniels Trey, Trey Daniels. Troy Burke. With the, yeah, I'm just combining players now with Troy Ulis Daniels Burke Lopez. Uh, yeah, I think I think he's fine to roster. I think there's upside there. Last game on the slate. This is by far the most entertaining real life basketball game of the night. The Oklahoma City Thunder at the Golden State Warriors. There's a lot of guys here that are individually good plays. Matt and I were kind of playing around, or I guess I was playing around with it as Matt's out on the other side of, of Skype while we were waiting to start as I tried to figure out ways to build game stacks here. The players are just too expensive. So individually, there's a bunch of guys I like. Like you could Russell, you could Russ, roster Russell Westbrook. That's really hard to say. You could roster Russell Westbrook at 11,500. The issue is you just can't get like Westbrook. Curry, Green, Clay Thompson. You can't get multiple of these guys in the lineup together. 
So that's what keeps me away from stacking the game. But individually, I think Westbrook, Durant, Curry, Green, Paul George, Clay Thompson are all good plays with upside. We just can't stack the game because they're they're everybody's expensive. Well, I generally don't like stacking games where you can't roster the three best players in the game. And you can't do that here. Because if the game goes to overtime, if you get your ideal scenario that you're playing for with a game stack, which is overtime, and you don't have Westbrook, Curry, and Durant... <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess the best player is wrong. You guessed Zaza, is that what you said? Yeah, I guess Zaza. Yeah, it's just you can't make a lineup with all three of those guys, so it's just it's hard to get too much upside with the stack because you can't fit all the good players. And even like you said, if you wanted to go with Westbrook and Durant or Curry, just leave one of them out, it still doesn't even really work within the salary if you want to use guys like Paul George and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, who are also fairly expensive. Um, so I'm with you that a lot of them make sense as individual plays, but this game also has a pretty decent amount of blowout risk. The Warriors are 10 point favorites at home. The Warriors are capable of blowout win in any home game. They're capable of a blowout win in literally any game anywhere. And the Thunder don't have Andre Robertson, which does help the Warriors from a matchup perspective for someone like Clay Thompson, who might've been guarded by Robertson. But I think his absence also leads to a little more blowout risk. So I don't know, I'll probably be light on this game. I don't know if I'll have any lineups where I use more than maybe two players from this game in it. Yeah, I do think if you want to go for... uh, I don't know if there's any legitimacy to this, but I I have felt that point guard duels or duels of players who guard each other tend to have a little bit more upside. Where like a Curry Westbrook combination? Do you think that makes sense in any way? Just where you kind of see the point guards go back and forth because they are the first guys to touch the ball and they do guard each other. Where it's a thing where Curry hits a couple shots in a row where Westbrook tries to get the shots back. Like I would have to look into it more. Except it is something I have used as a GPP strategy before. I think it could make sense, especially for someone with the sort of personality that Westbrook has. But I don't think that that's enough of an effect to say, okay, I'm going to leave Embiid out of a couple lineups to use Westbrook because I think that he could be a little extra motivated if Curry scores on him too much. Like it, No, it's just that I think that there's a little extra correlation between playing Curry and Westbrook together. Yeah, I think it is a little bit of extra correlation, but I don't think it's enough to really base lineup decisions around it because I guess I, I don't like the plays individually. So if we're considering them marginal, that may, maybe that boosts them just above marginal, but I think that they're below marginal to start with. So it, I don't know. <laughs> I would I would think maybe if you're making a lot of lineups, I would maybe make one like that and just see if it works because it is an interesting strategy and I, I don't think a lot of people will do it, but also I think a lot of people will just do it by accident. I think both of these players will be popular, so it's not like you're going contrarian with Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook, they're both going to be popular in a game with a 230-point total anyway. Um, Yeah, it's not a bad point. I just don't think it's going to really matter much. Okay, so that is going to finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GRNBerdFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back with more basketball tomorrow.